Is Ireland a more dangerous place than it was? Sometimes it can feel that way. Throughout the year, news stories have highlighted horrific attacks, particularly in Dublin city centre, as well as constant tragedies on our roads. But is the feeling of increased danger backed by statistics? This week, new figures on crime were released. And, at first glance, the news isn't good. There's been a significant increase in violent crime, robberies and thefts, according to the latest CSO crime figures. But a closer look shows how our intuitions about crime can be flawed and that when it comes to crime statistics, guard the practices can be as important as criminal behaviour. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, what's behind the worrying new crime statistics? I talk to Irish Times crime and security editor, Conor Lally. Connor, in May of this year, you came into the In The News studio and you explained that gun crime in Ireland is at a historically low level. But according to new crime statistics released by the CSO, the Central Statistics Office, this week, there has been a really worrying increase in murders. Isn't that the case? There were 47 murders in the 12-month period that the, the survey covers compared to 24 in the previous corresponding period. What's driving that? Yeah, so as you say, these are the CSO stats for the 12-month period to the end of June. The murder rate has increased, you know, quite a bit. Um, And it's actually the highest number of murders in any 12-month period for the last 10 years. So it is, you know, it is quite high. So there's a couple of things going on there. The rate of gangland killings has dropped at an unprecedented scale. We had a couple of gangland, gangland killings last year and we're now you know, towards the end of September and we haven't had any yet in 2023. So that's an extraordinary thing to be able to say. I mean, it's not that long ago when we had like 20, 25 per year and there were either, you know, that there were even several people shot dead in gang feuds in a week. So to have none in nine months through the year is just, you know, it's really unheard of. So as gangland killings have essentially stopped. Other killings have increased and particularly killings in the home. Now, this would be, you know, both male and female victims. And then society has obviously reopened back up again after COVID. So you've had a return, I suppose, to killings on the streets, you know, drink related rows and that kind of thing. So the numbers for the previous 12 months at 24 killings were very low. And now the number for the last 12 months up until the end of June are quite high in comparison to the past 10 years. So it is really killings in the home and street violence has kind of spurred it on. Now, when you say killings in the home, are we to infer from that or are the statistics broken down to tell us, is that women being killed in the home? Yeah, I mean, one of the great weaknesses of both the Garda and the CSO data, as it's uh, published quarterly anyway, um, is that you don't get any breakdown of things like, you know, gender for victims. We just don't have that data now for the last 12 months. There is a tendency, I think, in journalism for the murder of women in their home to get a lot of coverage, you know, rightly so, obviously. And then I think the impression goes out there that almost everybody killed in their home is a woman. And that's not really the case. You can get, you know, rows between siblings, between father and son, you know, things like rows at parties in a house, uh, that kind of thing. Um, so certainly the murders of women in their home, it is a real concern because it often comes at the end of a concerted campaign of violence against these women over a very long period of time. And the killing is just the last act in that 
series of violence. And it raises all kinds of issues about, you know, the supports that were there for the victims. You know, did the guards respond properly? Did they have anywhere to turn and so on? And we know some of the victims have been, you know, coercively controlled by their partners for years. Um, So there's generally a very complex and often very tragic and sad background there. um, And that is often why those cases get a lot of press as well. So we look at some of the other categories of violent crime, starting with assaults. What do the figures show there? Yeah, so obviously assaults have got a lot of coverage really over the last kind of couple of months. We had, you know, a series of very violent incidents on the streets during the summer. Well, the family of a Buffalo man is trying to make an emergency trip to Ireland where they say their loved one is in the hospital after being viciously attacked on a street in Dublin. It's the latest incident in a catalogue of violence and antisocial behaviour which has scarred the area around O'Connell Street. Just last month, a Ukrainian actor was attacked shortly after performing at the Abbey Theatre. But actually the CSO data, which is, you know, we have to caution here, it's only until the end of June and the recent assaults that we've seen were probably after that period. Um, But certainly up until the end of June, assaults causing harm, which are those on the upper end of the scale, had only increased by about 1%. So obviously, you know, broadly flat. However, other assaults, which are the less serious ones, they went up by 5%. And we've had, uh, we had over 14,000 of those. Again, these are not all street assaults. A lot of these would happen in the home, and that's the background there. But certainly assaults causing harm have not gone up in a way that you would think if you read the media over the last you know year or, or so. Um, and that is kind of interesting because those kinds of crimes did reduce during the COVID period, and they don't seem to be taking off again very quickly, uh, so far anyway, which is good news. And again, it's the same picture, really. Um, You know, there was a lot of concern around public order on the streets and so on. But actually, if you look at public order, they're marginally down over the last 12 months. What are public order offences usually? So look, public order offences can be any kind of disturbance on the street which doesn't meet the threshold of assault. It can be things like, you know, drunkenness, uh, threatening behaviour, that kind of thing. Connor, looking at sexual offences, the CSO results show not much change here. Some types of sexual crime are down a little, others are up year on year. You report that overall, the number of reported sexual crimes are significantly higher today than they were several years ago. However, you say that's not the whole story. What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, the guards have been aware for years that... This is a crime type that goes underreported and there are a variety of reasons for that. I mean, a lot of victims feel shame. They feel if they come forward, they will be stigmatised. Obviously, they should not feel that way, but that is what a lot of them will report to agencies like uh, Women's Aid and so on. So uh, about five to ten years ago, the guards, they really tried to change their approach here. They've created new bureaus within Angarda Shikana that specialises in investigating sexual crimes. So one of the things that the guards have tried to do, particularly over about the last five years, is to get more people to come forward, more sexual crime uh, victims to come forward, to give a formal statement of complaint to the guards, and then they can carry out an, an inquiry. So when you do that kind of work as a police force, if it's working well, the number of sexual crimes recorded each year will increase. So even though 
when we read the crime stats, we would be worried if we saw a sustained increase in sexual crimes over a period of, you know, three, four, five years. The guards were actually targeting an increase. They were trying to, they were trying to get more victims so it's to reporting come rather than numbers it's reporting, of crimes, you think? Okay. It's reporting and it's also things like, I mean, I have certainly interviewed uh, victims of, you know, very serious uh, sexual crimes who they may not have gone to the guards at the time and maybe a year later, maybe five years on, they will walk into a guard station and they would have tried to report to the guards and they'd be nearly urged to calm down, to go away for 24 hours, you know, reflect on what they're about to do. It's a very big step and so on. So the guards have tried to put that approach to one side, thankfully. And when people walk into a guard station, they try and deal with them very professionally, sensitively from the moment they walk in. So because of that, in the area of sexual crime, we've seen increases really for about the last five years. They appear to have tailed off now, and but we are still up around record levels of sexual crimes being uh, reported to the guards each year. You explained about the statistics relating to street assaults and how those figures challenge a recent narrative around violence on the streets. We've also been hearing a lot in headlines and reports about driving and danger on our roads. There's been a high number of road fatalities. Do these figures shed any light on driver behaviour that might be contributing to this very negative trend? Yeah, I mean, it's really kind of interesting. Even when you look at the trends for people caught speeding during the COVID period, traffic plummeted, obviously, on the roads. Like, And for periods of time, the roads were almost totally empty. And yet the number of people caught speeding actually increased both by the roadside vans and then by the Garda radars. And that is really because... Only a proportion of people who speed will ever be caught because the equipment that the guards have and the roadside vans, they can't catch every single vehicle that passes. But if we look at these this um, CSO data, obviously we've been quite concerned uh, since the start of the year. There's been an upturn in the number of people being killed on the roads. But actually, um, serious offending on the roads are certainly people who have been caught that's actually going down. So there's been a 6% decrease in the number of people caught drink driving in the 12 months to the end of June, although it's still at 5,300 people. And there's also been a, a drop of 25% in the number of people under the influence of drugs while driving. There's still 1,600 crimes. Now, I was you wonder, su- is that credible? I was surprised by that. Um, because... Once the roadside drug driving tests were introduced, we saw a very large kick up in the number of people being caught. And I think cannabis in particular is very prevalent in Ireland now. And I am just very, very surprised that the number of people caught drug driving in any 12-month period has dropped by a quarter. And I would think that is more to do with guard manpower and the volume of checks being carried out rather than any actual fall in people driving while under the influence of drugs. Now, it will be a while before we know, you know, how many roadside drug tests the guards have done in, in, in the past year. So we're kind of speculating here slightly, but certainly a 25% dip in drug driving cases. I'll put it this way, I think that's highly unusual and I wasn't expecting that. Coming up, what's behind a surge in shoplifting? I'll continue my conversation with Connor Lally after this short break. 
So can we move on to theft? We know now that theft is on the increase. Specifically, the data seems to show stealing from shops. Um, I suppose one of the reasons for that is, you know, the post-pandemic, people are moving around more. But are there other reasons, do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, thefts are really the... I think when you look at this data, obviously the homicide rate, you know, homicides increasing is always a big uh, worry. And, you know, thefts, obviously, it's more of an economic crime. So it's, it's you know, less uh, serious. But the volume of thefts here is just off the charts now. And shoplifting, essentially, you're well, talking about. Well, shoplifting is the big one. Which always sounds so benign, but it's not, clearly, given the, the volume of it. Yeah, so certainly thefts are up by a quarter in the year till the end of June. 71,000 theft uh, crimes during that period. And almost half of those are accounted for by shoplifting. Now, sometimes crime categories with very small numbers of crimes can jump by 20%, 25%. It's very rare that you'd get a, you know, that you'd get a high volume crime type going up by that much. And when you see a 25% jump, alarm bells really should go off there. We had just over 30,000 shoplifting crimes and that's the highest figure since the CSO began publishing data back in 2000. Now, there's a few things going on there. I was speaking to shopkeepers for several pieces that I did earlier this year, and they say since fuel inflation really spiked, since, you know, people's interest rates start going up on their, their mortgages, that the profile of people shoplifting, that they're catching shoplifting has changed. You get people like who they would regard as office workers during their lunchtime and they might go in and they might pay for a bottle of sparkling water but they'd steal a sandwich and a bag of crisps or whatever Um, and certainly some of the shopkeepers I spoke to said they were catching more and more of those people when economic hardship hits a certain sector of society shoplifting will increase and that that is what has happened We can also say that a lot of, certainly some of the shopkeepers that I spoke to said, a lot of the items that are stolen from them are very low value. So they wouldn't really call the guards because you're not going to call the guards to report that a sandwich that costs four euro has been stolen on you. And also if you call the guards, you have to try and keep the person there in your premises. You have to give a statement. You may have to give over CCTV. You may have to appear in court as a witness. You're not going to go through all of that time for like a can of Coke and a Mars bar. It's just totally unrealistic. So, you know, 30,000 thefts from shops in that 12-month period to the the end of June. It's probably only the tip of the iceberg, really, about what's going on in shops. And also, I suppose we don't know about the high-value items that have been stolen. I I was struck by reading the statement from the chief executive of John Lewis in, in the UK, the department store in the UK, and she's saying they're losing £12 million a year to shoplifting. It's not opportunistic crime. It's organised gangs who are coming into stores. They're, they're coming in with a, with a sort of shopping list. So they're, they're, they're shoplifting to order. Absolutely. That definitely happens here. I mean, there's organised shoplifting. People go into, you know, department stores and they will want, you know, five pairs of a very particular type of jeans or a particular handbag. You're talking sizes, colours, all that kind of stuff. Uh, People will go in and target that. In terms of high-value items also, certainly some of the shopkeepers that I spoke to, they say things like they have to put security tags on far more items now. So they would have had tags on, say, high-value spirits, you know, wine. 
but the value of the item that they've put those tags on is lower now because just so much stuff is being stolen from their shops. So can we talk about fraud? Look, I think we're all more fraud aware than we've ever been. You know, all the telephone scams, all that. We've covered them here and in the news. So what do the statistics show about fraud? So basically the statistics show that uh, you know, fraud was one of the stories of the pandemic, really. Um, and we were all at home and we were doing things like applying for COVID certs and applying for vaccines and all, you know, all of that kind of stuff. They try to leverage off that to trick you into clicking on links, either via emails or via texts on your on your phone. So because COVID was such fertile uh, ground for fraudsters, the number of frauds during that period absolutely like rocketed but that has now fallen back we see from the crime data that that trend has been reversed and it's down by 37% in the 12 months to the end of June and we expect when we get the data for uh, the second half of 2023 we expect that fall to have carried on so what you're seeing there really is the peak of fraud has passed as kind of COVID has passed um, and that appears to be what's happening there Connor, can we talk about drug crime? Over the past few days, there's been yet another story of potentially, we don't know, a large quantity of cocaine being detected on its way into Ireland. Hello again. You're listening to the news at one. Two men are still in custody this lunchtime after a boat suspected of smuggling drugs ran aground off the coast of County Wexford. A major security operation is continuing around the vessel, which is wedged on a sandbank approximately 12 nautical miles north of Rosslare Harbour. That story is moving as we record. So generally, do the CSO figures tell us anything about the level of drug smuggling happening here? Well, they do, yeah. I suppose they tell us about the gun crime that goes with the drugs trade and also about the drugs trade. Um, I suppose what's interesting with drug crime, it's one of those crime categories where unless the guards are going out searching for drugs, they're not going to find them. So if you became a superintendent in a particular guard station, tomorrow and you wanted to drive down recorded drug crime in your area, you just cancel all the searches and your fines of drugs will just, you know, stop. So it is an unusual area of policing in that you really have to go out and find these drugs. And what you will find if things like guard overtime is cut, if the number of guards in the force is in decline, sometimes recorded drug crime also drops. And that is because the number of operations, the number of searches being carried out by the guards is actually falling. So they're just finding fewer drugs. So certainly the demand for drugs remains very high. Um, The economy, even though inflation has been all over the place and has been quite high for the last year or so, Ireland is still a very rich country and really in any Western prosperous country you're going to have demand for drugs and it is very high in Ireland like all the guards will tell you that so what what this data shows us is is that possession of drugs for personal use it was up by 4% in the 12 months to just over 12,000 cases and that possession of drugs for sale or supply so that's drug dealing was up by 15% during that 12 month period and we nearly had 5,000 cases so drug possession and drug dealing as we can see there have increased but I do think now as Garda recruitment has started again and as the number of people in the guards has increased, there's been also a, an extra sum awarded to the guards for overtime to the end of the year. And that would be used for things like, you know, public order policing on the streets and also drug searches as well will be part of that. So I think 
as the number of guards increases over the next year or so, recorded drug crime will also increase because the volume of searches will be higher. And then with gun crime then, that's a really interesting area. The gun crime that actually goes along with those, with drug dealing, has fallen off a cliff. And this 12-month period to the end of June is a continuation of that trend. If we look at things like the number of people who were caught illegally firing a gun, we had 76 cases in the 12 months to June. Now, that was only down 1% on the previous uh, 12-month period. But those 76 cases compares to over 300 crimes per year during the height of the Celtic Tiger. Wow. So we're only asked we're at less than a quarter of what we had back then. So that's kind of a good news story. That's a good news story. Really what has happened is, I mean, if you if you wind the clock back to the year 2000 and say the following five years, you had an awful lot of very young men who got involved with the drugs trade. So they had lots of cash. They had access to firearms because they were getting the firearms from the people they were buying drugs from. And because they were very young and they were often taking cocaine themselves, they were very volatile. And this led to a lot of gangland feuds. So you have that whole generation of, you know, young men have kind of grown up now to an extent. And a lot of them are still very active in the drugs trade. They have seen the clampdown on the Kinahan and Hutch gangs. I mean, the Kinahan operation in Ireland has been completely wiped out since uh, 2016. And the, the Hutch operation is largely the kind of, you know, largely speaking, the same thing has happened there. So the Garda operation against the opposing sides in the Kinnan-Hutch feud has been so, I suppose, successful and so clear to see that other crime gangs have said, right, we're not going to engage in gangland feudings anymore. We're going to continue to deal drugs, but we're going to keep our heads down and not get involved in gang feuds. And this is what we can see in these CSO crime stats. What's the point of having these statistics? Like, are they there to reassure? Are they there to frighten? Do they drive policy? You say there wasn't a single gangland killing in the year that the stats cover, but there was a horrendous amount of domestic killing. So are the resources then moved from one area to another? What's what's the point in us knowing all this? I mean, the point of having these CSO stats is, first of all, to let people in Ireland know what's happening in Ireland. So, but also the guards then, they will drill down into this data And they will already have a breakdown for the last 12 months for exactly what's happening here. So how many assaults are in the home? How many are in public places? Of the assaults that are in public places, exactly where they are happening. And And what time, presumably? uh, Precisely. And they will seek to put more guards in there at those times. So they're constantly trying to identify crime black spots in terms of, you know, locations, times and trying to match the resources they have with where these crimes are taking place and when they're taking place. So that's really why we have these figures. Connor, thanks very much. That's it for today. For more Irish Times journalism, including reports and analysis from Connor Lally, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode is produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.